Hi, welcome to another episode of The Adoption Files. Joining me today is Valerie from WARM. So hi, Valerie. Hello. Hi, can you tell us what WARM means, please? I've tried sure. to guess numerous times, but I'm pretty sure I'm way <laughs> off. I have had people make some pretty, I mean, I think they're good guesses. One time someone asked me, does that mean women... Um, women against something like <laughs> I don't remember what she said now she rape, rapey men I don't know rape. yeah it was something like, like that women against rape and I'm thinking who is for it but okay but <laughs> good point all right so uh, what it actually means warm is a non-profit that the acronym stands for Washington Adoption Reunion Movement it started out actually in 1976, it started out as birthright. And then they were hit with a cease and desist order from another organization called birthright. That was, I believe, anti-abortion. And we thought, okay, we'll, you know, we'll think of another name. And then they named it Washington Adoptees Rights Movement. And that's what it was for a very long time until they felt like we need to show that we include more people and not only adoptees. So they changed it to a, to Washington adoption reunion movement because we are, we were founded on the idea of reunion. Okay, so that's, so that's how it happened. Okay, so then by shifting the language a little bit to be more inclusive, the idea was that you would also demonstrate to maybe uh, family members of the adoptee who were searching for like a sibling or a child or a grandchild. That exactly, okay. exactly, exactly. It When it started in 1976, um, it was started by two pretty much just two adoptees and they actually one of them put an ad in the paper saying hey anybody else out there you know wanting to talk about adoption and like getting your records and things like that and they got some response and that's how it the whole thing got started and they I mean this was in 1976 you can imagine how primitive the search methods must have been at that time oh yeah and they just were trying to just figure things out um the group alma had just started and also cub alma is adoption liberty movement association is that it i have that's another one it's, where okay it's been a long time and I, because I don't think they're around anymore. It, I don't think they are either, but it was the 1970s was when all of us um, baby boomers who were adopted were all coming of age. You know, the early baby boomers were coming of age now. Okay. And that was when all the secrecy had really started when, you know, the records, some records were never sealed in Alaska and Kansas. They never sealed the records in either of those states, but in every other state, 
eventually anywhere between the 1920s and 1980s, that's when they sealed the records. Some were that early and some were that late. Heaven only knows why. I think it's because people had secrets and they got into, you know, politics and they wanted to keep the secrets so that that's when they put in the legislation to seal those records. So in the 1940s here in Washington, during the war, that was when a lot of uh, and anything having to do with courts for things as mundane as a, an adoption, it Either it had so many records, it was mind-boggling, or it was just like two or three pages. And it, it was one or the other. And it wasn't until after the war that it got more consistent. All the records were considered sealed. And people couldn't did not adopt, adoptees did not have access to their own records. Um. And so if the if you were born around that time, then in the 1970s, that's when, you know, you were really feeling like you need it for medical reasons, because you want to know where you came from, just because it's your records, you know, so you should have it. So it was in the it, around the late 60s, early 70s was also at the, the peak of adoption rates. More people were adopted around the year 1970, late 60s, early 70s, than any other time. And then so right after that, the adult adoptees were starting to say, hey, this is wrong. I should have my records. I should be able to contact my natural mother just to see if she wants to meet me. You know, it just, it was that innocent. Or else it was simply like the people who started warm, they just want to know, where did I come from? Who are my people? Because after them, I mean, before them, it's just nothing, absolute nothingness. So they were, it was two women. They were also thinking about their children because the children's father, he had a history. They did not. So... In, a, in, a, in about 1977 or so, um, one of the people who had joined them had friends in the court here at in King County, which is where Seattle is. King County is the most populated county in Washington. And this judge, um, he was also an adopted father. So he had adopted children. He was one of the people who wanted this to happen. He wanted a way for people to reunite. And so it was with the help of this judge and the people who started this, they were the ones who created what's called the confidential intermediary system. Okay. As far as I know, Warm started it. Okay, so for people who don't know what a confidential intermediary system is, could mm -hmm. you explain how that functions, at least in Washington state? Be aware that right. they may have these in place in other states. They may right. operate very differently. 
right. Every state has its own rules, but for Washington. That's very true. Every state has its own rules and laws. It's not just rules, it's laws yeah. concerning adoption. And that also, you know, spills over into the CI system or searching or what have you. So a confidential intermediary, also known as a CI, they have to be trained by a court-recognized agent. We are considered agents of the court, but we have to be trained by another CI. We have to take an oath of confidentiality, and we absolutely must adhere to the law. And so, and, and I understand this, I'm an adoptee and I understand this when, you know, when I personally want my records, I don't want someone saying, well, I can see them, but you can't, you know, nobody wants to hear that. We're done being, you know, treated like babies. Right. But for us to have the cooperation of the courts, which was the only way we could search in the 1970s, all the way up into probably 1990, that was the only way to search. This is what we had to do. And so this was put into a, a law. There's a, a code and we absolutely must adhere to this law, to the spirit of this law. So what that means is, let's say we have a client, it can be a birth mother, it could be an adoptee, it could be the adult children of a deceased adoptee, it could be an uncle, an aunt, it could actually be the adopted parent if they have good cause, um, etc. But they fill out a, a simple petition. We create a court order and we have to present the court order and the petition to the county superior court where their adoption was finalized. And so there are, I don't know how many counties in Washington state, but the majority of them, of course, are going to be in the most populated counties. So we ended up building a rapport with the judges in the more populated counties. And the other ones were like, you want to do what? You know, and so we had to kind of bring them on board and it took a long time. Uh, my own search was in the 1980s. So warm had been around for, you know, 10 years at the time. And where I was adopted, we had to wait until the friendly judge was on the bench because there was no point in trying to present these petitions to the judge that didn't like what we were doing. So warm learned they had to wait until certain people were on the bench before they would even present the case. So the idea is you present this and then you end up getting a reel of microfilm and you print off the pages that are having to do with the search you're working on. 
And so that's where the records are. The records are not kept in a file cabinet. The, the originals might be in a file cabinet somewhere, but I don't know where, but they're all on microfilm now. Everything's on microfilm. So you get your copies of the microfilm, you get a certified copy of the court order, that's your CYA, and then, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm fighting a cold, and then the CI would then have the information they needed. They would either have the adoptee's new name and the parents' names, the adopted parents' names, or they would have the birth mother or possibly birth father's names. It was one or the other because that's what's going to be in the records. Sometimes the court would have the original birth certificate. Sometimes it wouldn't. Some counties are better than others. King County is great with the amount of information they keep. Other counties, it's just this boilerplate template they would use and stamp everything the same and fill in the names and that's it. So that's all you'd get. But then once the CI had the name of the person they were looking for, way back in the day, they would use things like records from the uh, DMV, or they'd get a, maybe a marriage certificate from the county, et cetera. Um, they had all kinds of ways to search pre-internet. Um, and they just, they made it work. But then the idea is, here's where it's the, you know, we have to stick to the rules, is that the person they're searching for, when they make contact, and it has to be the CI who makes the contact, because that's the deal, the CI approaches them as discreetly as possible, makes contact, and asks them if they will sign a consent form saying they want to be in contact with the person looking for them. And if they say, absolutely, where do I sign? Great. Then the information is exchanged and they have their reunion. And 95% of the time, it does go well. Most people want to be found. So that's great. But then they have to be prepared for the possibility where someone says, no, I never told my family about this. This has, I'm taking it to my grave. I, or more likely they're so guilt stricken, they can't deal with it. Or sometimes if it's an adoptee, they feel so beholden to their adoptive parents. They're so loyal that that's their show of loyalty is that I don't need those people. Yeah. I would never hurt them. So then they just, they just refuse or they feel like, you know, you abandoned me. And now guess what? I get to abandon you. And so in that case, in those small percentages of refusals, those, the the person who is searching gets no information except maybe some health history you know whatever we could give legally that won't disclose who they are 
and and we we really don't like refusals. Who does? Right? It's a rejection. It hurts. Um, but we have to stick with the law. So that's how that works. I know Thank in you. some other states, um, actually here for a while, um, certain agencies had their own CIs. Let's say Children's Home Society. They would have their own confidential intermediaries. <clears throat> and so that, and that can take place in any state. And I think... So I think the CI system got a bad reputation because the way it made the adoptee feel that they were not being given anything. They had to go begging for this. This other person had all the information and, and they were met with a refusal or they had to pay a bunch of money and they felt like they didn't get anything. And that's understandable. No one wants to feel used. Um, but on the other hand, that was the only way we could do it when we started. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have DNA. We didn't have anything else. So we had to make, it's not, I wouldn't even call it a compromise. It was just a path. It was the only way we could search was with the cooperation of the courts. Well, and so, that's still true today as far as, like, Washington State is considered a compromised state when it comes to adoptees seeking access to their identifying information. And the reason it's considered compromised is because you do have to apply to the court to get approval and it's based on birth parent disclosure vetoes correct still yes today. in a way in a way um okay. what you're talking about and i agree it's a it's a compromise you're talking about the original birth certificates since 2014 people in washington state can apply for their original birth certificates um, but there is a veto option, which we completely fought against. And sometimes people are surprised to hear that we don't want a veto option on there. We didn't, we wanted it free and clear because the whole idea of warm was that we're going to do this until adoptees have access to their own records and we don't need the CI system anymore. So we actually, you know, we would send people down to Olympia, the state capital, to uh, speak on behalf of a clean bill. We would write to the legislators, et cetera. Um, so we were not happy about that. You know, we fought it. And uh, the thing is, uh, some people get confused about what they were getting. Some people thought, <clears throat> well, it'll give me all my records. Yeah. I'll have all my records. It's just the original birth certificate. And like I said, some counties have, like King County usually would have a copy of the original birth certificate on file with all the court records. But 
most counties, it's just the court records and it's completely separate from the original birth certificate. And those are kept at Vital Statistics, which is the Department of Health in Olympia. And they're housed separately. They're cross-referenced with the amended birth certificates because as you know, most adoptees get two. You have your original, which is sealed, and it's supposed to be factual. And then you have your amended, which is the legal one, which has your adopted parents' names put in place of your birth parents as part of the as if born to idea. So for all legal intents and purposes, you were born to your adopted parents. I know, crazy. it's a crazy system. I know, it's especially <laughs> when we're talking about changing race and things. It's just like, oh, wow, that's, how did you do that, mom? You know? <laughs> I know, it's like the law let me. <laughs> yeah, and it is, it is confusing. For people listening, I know that this probably sounds confusing. If you're not familiar mm. with how these systems work, it can be very difficult, even, even if you read the laws, it can be difficult to understand what it is they're, they're saying. And because every single state is allowed to regulate adoption according to their own concept of what's best for the child, mm -hmm. even if you get a handle on one state, it the laws can be very different in another state from mm -hmm. the period of you know how long before the person can sign over their parental rights and how long before the adoption decree is finalized and how mm -hmm. much access the adoptee has to non-identifying information and at what point and where is it stored and who can you talk to and so it sounds like Warm attempted to set up a process by which people could get some information. The fact that you said that they cultivated judges and knew when to ask, because that is something, you know, when you go to a court to apply in a lot of these states, it's completely dependent upon the whim of the judge. The one who happens to be sitting there at that moment. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's, it's can be incredibly frustrating. And, and yes. again, you know, also your, your confidential intermediaries, if you have one who is sympathetic towards adopted people or their families, they may, work harder to try and help you than somebody who maybe doesn't have the same feelings. Well, we don't have that problem with CIs because every CI we have ever had has been somehow connected with adoption. Okay. Either they were an adoptee or possibly they were a birth mother or um, a birth father that would be rarer, I think. Um, and one of our best CIs um, is a spouse of an adoptee 
And it's, you know, she's one of those people who, you know, she has been married to this guy for so long. It's like they share a brain, you know, <laughs> so you can't get anyone more sympathetic, completely sympathetic. And we all want the same thing. We want everyone to be reunited if parties agree. And, and we know that everybody not only wants answers to their own past, they deserve answers. So nobody, there are no CIs. I can say this with complete confidence. There are no CIs in Washington state who don't want a reunion of some type to happen, even if it's just information. <clears throat> so that is not the problem. Okay. So, so now you've kind of given us some background on what it was like to try and get information pre-internet. And I know you were looking in the eighties. I was trying to track down people in the late nineties, which basically what I had access to were online phone books. That mm -hmm. was pretty much the extent of the kind of searching you could do even at that point, using mm -hmm. a computer. Mm -hmm. So people don't realize that there's a lot more information at your fingertips now than there was pre, you know, World Wide Web. So, yes, and you said much. everything was on these microfilm. Is that still the case today? Or yes, all yes, the court records because you know the courts they're like 30 years behind the rest of the world as, far as I can tell. <laughs> and so yes, it's all on microfilm. Like, you know, the kind of microfilm you have to it's like a little projector, you, it's but it's sideways, you put put it through the feeder and it's up on the screen and you hope the printer's going to work today. You know, it's it's still that's all the same. Okay, but so, then as far as actually finding the people mm -hmm. that are involved in the searches. Now it's so, it can be so fast. We can have like a five minute search once we have a name. Sometimes it takes five minutes and we have everything. We have their name, address, phone number, email address. You know, we're looking at them on Facebook, whatever. You know, sometimes it's that quick, but the people who have been found, they, they may not be prepared. And so some, even though warm encourages people, you know, search on your own, go ahead and do it. You know, everyone has that right. We caution them just because you're ready and you've had all these years working up to this point, that doesn't mean the person you found has done the same. You know, especially with the mothers, a lot of times the the women have done what they were told to do, which was pretend this baby was never born, go on with your life, never tell your husband, etc. And they try really hard to do that. They try to bury it and they feel guilty. And so when they're contacted to them, they go, they revert which, and this is true for any trauma, they revert back to that moment when they had the baby and they signed those papers. Yeah. And they feel just like that all over again. They feel scared, humiliated, angry, 
know, and it doesn't matter that they've been married for 30 years and they're happy and they have a college education. All of a sudden, they're right back to where they were traumatized. And so we we try to, you know, even though, yes, we encourage people, we want people to have their own original birth certificate. Um, we want people to search for whoever they want to search for. But please remember the people you're looking for may be incredibly traumatized and you have to be ready for that. You have to prepare kind of on their behalf and give them a lot of grace, you know, and not just barrel into it. You know, where we we've had people call and say, well, you know, I got my original birth certificate and I found my mother and I, I called her and, you know, and, and she told me, you know, to never call her again. And so now I want you to call her. <laughs> and then we say, okay, here's the thing. <laughs> You've already made contact. So now we can't. That's part of the deal. If you're going to be our client, you have to let us handle the search and completely hands off. Nobody else gets to do it while we're working on it. And then hopefully we'll finish and everything's great. And then you have all the information. But if it turns out that, you know, they refuse, we can't do anything. If Even if you had your original birth certificate and then came to us and did nothing, you'd have, obviously, you still have your original birth certificate. But if she says no and, you know, slam the door kind of a thing, we can't do a lot except maybe send her a follow-up message saying this is how to contact us. If you change your mind, contact us and we'll get you in touch, you know. And that does work. People do kind of calm down and realize, oh, maybe this would be a good thing. Or they at least want to provide medical history. But, and the father's name, excuse me. But we, what we cannot do is fix someone else's mess. And I'm, I'm sorry to put it in those terms, but sometimes people do come to us with a mess. They have people who are just furious with them. They're ready to like get a restraining order. And it's, it's awful. And I, my heart goes out to them, but we can't fix it. Under the law, we have to make first contact. And first contact even includes like, you know, with social media, sometimes people will get their original birth certificate and they post the thing publicly on Facebook. And they say, anybody, anyone know who this is? I'm looking for her. This is my mother. It's like, well, sorry, you just made first contact because you posted this out to the universe and there's no way to get that back. You can't put the genie back in the bottle, right? Yeah. So that, you know, and it really hurts me personally. I mean, I feel just heartsick when we get those phone calls and messages and it's like, you know, well, I mean, I've done all this stuff for you. It's like, well, oh, oh man. Okay. <laughs> you know, if we, if we can get it under wraps, 
you know, if we can, if they take everything down, eliminate all of that, and if they have not actually tried to make contact, we can help them. If they take everything down, then we can help them. But sometimes it's one of those things where we say, well, I'm sorry, you're going to have to, you know, you know, try a search angel, you know, or something like this, because they don't, a search angel, they don't search for money. We have to take a fee. We're a nonprofit, barely scraping by. So a search angel does not ask for money. If you go to a search angel and then they say, okay, I found her. Now I just need, you know, a couple hundred dollars. They're not a search angel. They're a scammer. Yeah. Don't go with that person. Yeah. That happens every once in a while. So, but a real search angel will do it for free. Bless them. That's wonderful. Sometimes we even refer people to search angels for one reason or another. But what we do uh, over the years, after we got out of the, you know, going to the DMV kind of method of searching, <laughs> now we use court records, sometimes agency records, and you have to have a court order to get the agency records, um, and then the internet and DNA. DNA is the ultimate as far as searching for someone. Um, so we can do all of that. And I don't know of other places that, that can do all of it. They maybe they're really great about DNA, but they can't get the court records, you know, whatever we, it's the whole package. Now, do That's you what guys, I like about what we do. Do you provide DNA tests to clients no, or do no. they bring you? We, we tell people when they're on sale. <laughs> okay. And really? Yes. We, we encourage everyone, even if they've already done a search and they think they're done or whatever, or if, you know, even just long ago uh, clients, we encourage everyone to get a DNA test and to start with Ancestry and because that's the biggest one. And then 23andMe, if they, if they want to do that one too, and then all the other tests that you can transfer the data into so that you're making more and more matches because not only will it confirm hopefully what you already know if you've already searched and found, but you could be helping someone else. You could be helping someone else who has no idea that there are people to find. Yeah, that's a really good point because I know that in my own search for my father, I came across a cousin's grandmother's name and then later learned that her father did not know his mother's name. And I was able to provide them with, uh, you know, here's the marriage certificate and here's, you know, the divorce decree. And so exactly. you can see that your father was born while your grandfather was married to this person 
And then yes. his stepmother, he was never told that his stepmother was not his mother. So exactly until, until he was much older. And you will find if you do your DNA that sometimes you'll run across other adopted people who are looking for family and you can help them narrow down where those connections might be because you have your own results. So exactly. yeah, and that, that's exactly what we do. We have a wonderful DNA analyst who volunteers for us. He can figure things out. It boggles my mind. I don't even know how he does it. He just has a very analytical nature and he can just put these things together. Um, um, and the, the wonderful thing for me is that, like you say, a lot of adoptees turn to DNA testing because if they don't have any kind of support where they live or where they were adopted, then you turn to DNA testing and it's just to them, it's just, you know, it's me out there and you're trying to figure out who's who, but there's so that's why there's so many adoptees because that's like, they feel like they've been pushed into this corner. It's like, this is the only way you have to search, but we have many ways to search. And so we kind of pick up more adoptees along the way as we're searching on behalf of somebody else. Um, in fact, we're working on something right now where we had this case where our client and her siblings wanted to know about, let's see, their father. Yeah, their their father was adopted way back when. And when we found his records, which had been his, this happens too, his birth was moved by a month so he would appear newer to the adopted parents and therefore more desirable. Oh gosh, okay? I hear things like so, that. It's just irritating. Yeah, I, it, yeah. And oh, <laughs> so yeah, it does happen. <clears throat> and that's another reason why you cannot just rely on the records because yeah. sometimes the records are falsified. So we found out that the adoptee's mother was also adopted. And so okay, so his so their father was an mm -hmm. adoptee and his mm -hmm. mother was also an adoptee. Yeah. Okay. So they talk about yeah. generational and she was she was an orphan. Okay. And so she was adopted. And then so we had to and we had to figure out where it really led and this one went way back to the turn of the century um where i believe the that birth mother or else her mother it gets kind of blurry now but they were born like on this island up near the canadian border and the mother's name the last name given um, on a in some sort of index in long handwriting <laughs> was Platchman. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And then someone else found another record where it said Clutchman. And so I'm thinking, and then I looked up 
a census. There was a territorial census from like 1895. And she was listed, either she or the daughter, I think it was the daughter, was listed as, oh, I can't even think of what the world did they call them. It was, it was like half-breed. It was some really derogatory, yeah. you know, it was supposed to mean you're half-native. Mm-hmm. And I think it said half-breed. And so then I thought, well, maybe Clatchman and Clutchman, maybe that's a a tribal name. And so I'm trying to find it. And finally, it was the, our DNA analyst. Uh, he found it in a, I think it was a Chinook a, a dictionary. And it's Kluchman. And Kluchman means indigenous woman. And so the last name was simply because she didn't have a last name. They just it was simply a title. Okay. Yeah. And so it would be spelled differently depending on who was saying it. Mm-hmm. So we all learned, okay, now we know what Kluch means. <laughs> but we found so much interesting stuff about this family, you know, like living in a lighthouse and crazy stuff like this. And the clients, you know, they never would have found any of this out. They never would have figured it out because the birth date was off by a month and the uh, records, you know, we had, we, we got records from a home here in Seattle, I believe who they just had these little index cards and, you know, the birth mother had been orphaned. And so she lived at this home for a while and so there it was handwritten on an index card and so when she, after she had the baby she actually brought the baby back to the home i guess because she didn't know what to do and that's how he ended up getting adopted okay and yeah it's and so we can find crazy things like that because we know we have different places we know where we can look there are digital archives and there are um, some records from certain homes where we have the uh the index uh for like there's something called the thompson hospital and for a brief period of time they did adoptions it was like a maternity home slash hospital together and so they closed down and we got like copies of their index saying who went where. Okay. So since you guys have been doing this for such a long time, you've developed these relationships with these different organizations. And so you're Mm -hmm. kind of a repository for a lot of the information that's not available publicly. That is correct. Mm -hmm. So, um, but with most things like agencies, we do need a court order. We need to go either to the court where the adoption happened and we just, we mail it. Or if we can, or if, if we don't know where it was finalized, we get what's called a general order. And we do that through King County here in Seattle. They're very, very cooperative. And with a general order, it's kind of this far reaching thing saying, here's the facts as we know them. You know, we're entrusting warm 
to um, have the records and and that in turn goes to an agency or it goes to the Department of Health or something along those lines. And then we we can have their records because legally it's okay for them to release it if we have this general order through King County. And this is because of the fact that the law in Washington state still requires the permission. Uh, if you- um, right. If, okay. Yeah. That's for the records. That's for the records, but for a an original birth certificate, I think we needed to circle back to that. I forgot. I rambled on. Um, the original birth certificate, um, birth mothers can put a veto on it um, if they even know that this exists. They can put a veto power on it, meaning the adoptee will send in their $20, et cetera, and the form and they'll get back this sheet of paper saying, you know, we're sorry, a veto has been placed on your file. And that is devastating. You know, we don't like it. Um, The only way around that would be if then, then they came to warm and we could petition the court but the birth mother has already said no and so we would need to have some kind of workaround for that and what we usually do is we really encourage the adoptee to do dna testing just bypass all this and sadly sometimes adoptees have to wait for the birth mother to die So Washington state does allow release of the birth certificate upon the death of the parent listed. So it's not just the, so most of the time a father is not listed on an adoptee's birth, original birth Mm -hmm. certificate, but on occasion a father is listed. So in states that allow release of birth certificates upon death it has to be the deaths of parents listed on the certificate. So if there are two parents, both parents have to pass away. If it's one parent, it's just that person. And probably, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it doesn't, this does not come up very often. So I can't yeah. pull an example out of my mind, but I can tell you that as important as it is for us to get our our own documents, we're both adoptees, we both know how important it is to have your own original birth certificate, your own paperwork, et cetera. You would hope that since our amended birth certificates are fabrications <laughs> for legal purposes, we would hope that what's on the original birth certificate is correct. And yeah. that is not always true. It's yeah. not always true. Because besides the fact that often the father is not listed at all, sometimes a father will be listed and it won't be the actual biological father. It will simply be the guy that the woman was married to. Or she thought was the father. Or, you know, if she thought if she thought that it was this guy or she really, really wished it was this other guy, she'll put his name down. And in some states, 
they'll have it on there. And some states, they'll just, they just won't put it on. This is true. Like, yeah. Some states, a father actually, so like some states, for example, I think Alabama and Georgia are both like this. Even if a woman says, this is the father of my child, if the father does not sign a statement avowing that he is the father of the child, the state will not put the man's name on the birth certificate. Right. The father has right. to acknowledge paternity. Some states assume that if you're married, the assumption is that the father is the person you're married to. And so they'll put that on the certificate. So it it all depends, again, on the state that you give it birth It depends in. on when and where, because yeah. the laws or requirements change with time. Since That's about right. 1990, um, here in Washington, you have to put a father down if you're single or what if you're keeping the child or not. You have to put a father. They expect you to do it. And it used to be, before, you know, up until the seventies or something somewhere in there in the, maybe the eighties, you know, if you're giving the child up for adoption, no father necessary. Yeah. Unless you were married, then you had to put that guy's name down. <laughs> so I I know it's crazy. I know so, there's putative father registries now, which basically means that if you are uh, capable of producing sperm and you have sex with someone and they could theoretically get pregnant if you don't put your name on these putative father registries, you have no parental rights if exactly. that person has a child. Right. And, and you're the father. Right. Yeah. So, Utah has a great big problem with that. That's why a, a lot of women are sent to Utah because then they, you know, they can't have the interference from a potential father saying, wait a minute, I don't want my child adopted. See, this is where I think interstate trafficking laws should come into play because adoption agencies are, to this day, shipping pregnant people to states with the shortest termination windows and the most difficult paternal rights issues it's just, it's a huge scam and we're actually mm -hmm. taking people across state lines in order to commodify their children. Mm -hmm. And anybody who says there's no money involved is just incredibly naive or willfully ignorant. So yeah, but that's a whole other. That's very true. That's a whole other thing true. that we could get into. So you guys have been working for a long time to... I bring about these reunions and you invest a lot of yourselves in doing this research. Is there an aspect of your job that keeps you there? Like what drew you to working there and what do you enjoy the most about what you do? Oh my, how much time do we have? Um, well, <laughs> I start, no. okay. I gave a, a similar talk uh, to a, a college and uh, someone wrote in a review later that um, that story had more characters than a Russian novel. Hmm. I don't mean, okay. I don't think she meant it to be a compliment. <laughs> oh, 
Well, people want so I won't, I won't tell you all like all the stories I could tell you, but I'll tell you in a nutshell. I started working here because I feel I just I love warm. They're the ones who reunited me with my mother. And so I I completely believe in what they do. And um, I like how it's a nonprofit. And I evolved over time from simply moving papers and filling things out, et cetera, answering the phone. I started doing some of the sleuthing. I got to do start doing the detective work. And man, that pulled me in. I feel like I could never leave this job now because I love solving the mysteries. The older the adoption is, the better. We have, I, I think the oldest one I ever did was uh, from 1910. Okay. Probably the oldest. Um, and this is another reason why I always tell people, you, I understand you want the records, but you cannot rely on those. Either they, they don't exist or they're, they were, they're wrong or they were deliberately falsified. You have to do DNA also. You absolutely have to. If you want to know the truth, you have to do DNA. If you just want to believe a certain story, go ahead. But personally, I would rather know the truth, whatever it is. Um, in in the case from the, the adoption from 1910, um, the adoptee uh, was told that her that her father had this certain last name and but they they were never told why she was relinquished it was very hush hush and so i looked at the index the birth index from when she was born in 1910 and i found these two different these two names mother and father for her birth date, where she was born. And there was there was only one other girl born in that place on that day. And so I thought, okay, it must be this one because the other one I could account for, but not this one. These people just, you know, here and gone. Well, turns out those were made up. The adoption index and the original birth certificate it wasn't even sealed on the court level. It was just down in Olympia. And um, it had these people's names on it who had absolutely nothing to do with the adoptee. And it turns out that the adoptee had been correct about the name that she was given, but she never knew the story. They never told her why. Why was she adopted? And the reason why was because I found out through, I'll, I'll give you some hints here, things that you can use if you're searching for old things. I looked um, in our state's digital archive. Some states have it, some don't. Um, so we, I looked in the Washington State Digital Archives and um, I used uh, Genealogy Bank and also newspapers.com 
and I put this name in and anything I found, you know, I, I was starting to build a story. And finally, something that they recently did with the digital archives was add in death certificates. Death certificates, sometimes it brings you around full circle. All of a sudden, oh, it all makes sense now. Because the father, in this case, the natural father, was the city's um, fire chief. It was for a major city in Washington state. And he was the fire chief. And he was married. And he had a child. And he and his wife, and we know this through DNA, he and his wife have the second child. That's the one that's given up for adoption. Why? Because he's the fire chief. He's married. Why wouldn't he want another child? Apparently, he had an on-the-job injury, which resulted in epilepsy. And he was desperately trying to hide this and also fighting with the city to get a pension. And so I didn't know any of this until I saw his death certificate. I knew about the fighting and the pension and being hospitalized, but it never said why. And on his death certificate, cause of death, epilepsy. That is why they had to spirit away the second child because the city would not have approved like him to get that pension if he had two babies to feed. See what I mean? They were trying to hide it. And so the, the, the wife, the mother of the child, went into a new maternity home. There was a new maternity home in this city. And the doctor, who was a woman, signed it. She was the one. They were all in on it. She put in these other people's names as the parents, not the actual parents. And these were real people. I found them. They were real people, but I don't know if they even knew each other. So the doctor puts in these fake names because at that time, birth records were public. Yeah, because they used to publish in the newspaper when people had yeah. babies. Right. And not only that, but just the records. You could you could go and look up a birth record if you wanted yeah. to. And so an adoption, they didn't have sealed files. They didn't have any sealed anything in 1910. So the, their only way to keep the secret was to lie about everything and so they did so but apparently so the, the adopted parents the adopted parents knew who they were well because back then arrangements for adoptions were a lot of times made just between people. neighbors neighbors yeah. co-workers people at church that that happened a lot you're right yeah. it happened a lot and so the adoption itself did not even happen for 10 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Just because they, I guess they finally decided, you know, we should probably put this down on paper somewhere. But the, well, but those fake names were never mentioned. 
the real names were never mentioned. It was just this child was given to us in adoption and the judge signed it and they all said that's good enough. I think so. Yeah. That's why you have to do the DNA. You can't just rely on the records. And that's not just 1910, okay? I have a friend who who is an adoptee who got her original birth certificate and then quietly stalked her birth mother for a while because she wasn't sure if she wanted to approach her or whatever. And on the original birth certificate, it, uh, they, it was a married couple, but they were in the process of getting divorced. So she figured that's why she was given up for adoption because they were getting divorced from each other. Well, she ended up doing a DNA test and okay, we're used to seeing the wrong father. You know, yeah. they named the wrong guy. This wasn't the right mother. See, and that's one thing. People always assume that you're going to discover that you have a non-parental, and they'll even call it non-paternal. I'm like, mm, it's not necessarily paternal. This is rare. This, is, this was incredibly rare. Yeah. But what it happened was her father was an, um, an officer, like an, an army officer. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, he and he was married. The the person's name, the mother's name on there, that is who he was married to, but that's not who he got pregnant. Yeah. So he brought his girlfriend into a military hospital. And he was the only one who had to show ID. They're not going to say, Oh, come on, that's really your wife. You know, this woman's having labor, you know, labor pains. And it's like, well, can you prove who you are? Mrs. whatever yeah. and so put it all through she signs it she signs the birth certificate she signs the um relinquishment papers you know and so we got the court records with the relinquishment so she could compare the signature of the person who signed as her mother with you know the one she claimed to be and the one she really was and okay gotcha so to compare the woman yeah who's married to's handwriting with the mm -hmm. person who gave birth to her's handwriting exactly exactly okay. yeah, yeah and so no you can't it's not just like the original birth certificate is not the holy grail they are no, fallible it's nice to have it, but I know, for example, the first thing I asked when I found out I was adopted was, is my birthday even my birthday? Mm -hmm. Because even being late discovery and, and not thinking I had anything really to do with adoption, I had read enough to know that details can be changed. And people will say adoption's not like that anymore, but it absolutely is still like that because here in California, an adoptive parent can change a child's ethnicity on the birth exactly. certificate. They can change mm -hmm. where they were born on the birth right. certificate. And yeah, as long as the judge is cool with it, you know, or, or they can just lie 
you know, if they're not going to be questioned, but some, sometimes, um, not that long ago, people who were part black, they would be listed as Italian because I guess there are people who are dark enough Italian that they would appear to be mixed. Oh, I have a bunch of, I have a bunch of adoptive adoptee friends who grew up thinking that they were Italian and they've learned through DNA that they have indigenous yes or African or I I was told that my adoptive brother like we didn't know we were adopted but I always wondered why he was so tan and they just said oh well he just tans easily and (laughs) but it turned out that he had um he had Middle Eastern ancestry because his mother, um, his father was actually Spanish because I was born overseas. So, yeah. So yeah, Mm -hmm. there are all kinds of things that people, you know, changing birth dates, changing where you were born to where your adoptive parents were living. Exactly. Changing ethnicities. I, you know, there are things that are still done. And just the fact that they're listing people you're not born to as people you are born to, even in cases of transracial adoption exactly. or same-sex couples where it's, you know, it's just not genetically possible. Right. And they're still insisting on this fabrication. It's just kind of crazy. Yeah. It's crazy making. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, and people with, with DNA who are now discovering that they don't have the ancestry that they anticipated. Well, a lot of adopted people are over here waving our hands in the air going like, okay, welcome. Welcome to, to the party. Yeah. Welcome <laughs> to the mystery of where did I come from and how did I come to be? And I, and it does complicate the story when you are an adopted person and you do encounter all of these uh, differences to what you may have been led to believe and adoption is a generational trauma it's not that unusual for an adoptee to find that their parent was also you know adopted or a foster youth Mm -hmm. yeah yeah because it just kind of continues, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and that when when you said indigenous, it reminds me that um, we also do some other work um, that is helpful, where we're not actually searching; we're providing um, information or documentation, so people can get their um uh tribal enrollment oh nice and yeah i love doing that and it all depends on the tribe we help people um if they were born or adopted in washington state it doesn't matter what tribe it is as long as they were either born or adopted in washington state um and then it is on the client to tell us what the requirements are because every tribe (laughs) 
my phone is not supposed to be ringing. I put it on the airport thingy. That so, oh. I'm just going to pile pillows on top of it. So okay. If you hear it ringing, I apologize. I'm trying. It's just a telemarketer. They like me. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so. With the with uh with the Native Americans, um, they need to find out from their tribe. Contact the tribal council. Find out what the requirements are to enroll. And then often what they want is an original birth certificate, an amended birth certificate, and a certified copy of their adoption decree that kind of puts those two things together. Yeah. And it, it de just depends. It just depends on the, the tribe. They all have different requirements. So we help with that. Um we also help people if they have trouble with their social security card, because sometimes like with a step parent adoption that came after they had already gotten a social security number, the card was never changed because you don't think about that, you know, oh, okay. and so and they grow up and they, you know, they, they, they keep using this card and it doesn't have this, the name that they're using on their ID. Yeah. And then, you know, so we help with that. Again, it's usually a matter of getting a certified copy of their adoption decree. You have to go through the court for that. Some courts will let you just do it because it's just a decree. You already know what's on it, yeah. but some of them won't, or they don't know how to ask for it. And so we help or passport, especially uh, international adoptees. They need help sometimes with the passport. Mm -hmm. um, we had a case a while ago where I thought it was never going to end. And it was just a simple step-parent adoption. But she was born in, born in Texas, and now she lives in Florida. And she had a step-parent adoption here in Washington State. And unfortunately, it was in one of the counties where they have never heard of such a thing. This is crazy. What do you mean? She, I, why? Of course she can get a passport. Don't be silly. And oh boy, we, we finally, when we, when she finally got her passport after months and months and months of work, she sent us flowers. Our oh, client sent nice. us flowers from Florida to thank us for all of our hard work, but we were going to see that one through. <laughs> Oh man. And it's lovely because you know, people don't understand that adoption they think that it simplifies your life and it makes things so mm -hmm. much better. But when and, you're and that was just a stepfather adoption. And that and wasn't even a, a whole adoption. And that's the thing is that people don't understand that with foster with adoption from foster care, with an older child who's already had an identity for years. And may have school records and all kinds and medical records in their name of origin. And then it's changed. And the adopted parents may not file everything properly or think to change all of the things that they need to change with step parent adoptions. These are still sealed records. You can exactly. know who you are. Mm -hmm. for 10 or 15 or 17 years and then go through these from foster care or step-parent adoptions and your 
original document is sealed and you are barred from having legal access to it in most Mm -hmm. states. And, you know, in Washington, you have to have a court order to have access to something that you may have grown up with for most of your life to that point. And it's just, it creates all of these complications that are so unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's maddening. It's absolutely maddening. Yes. Um, well, uh, I'm some, glad some... you're there. To well, do thank this. you. Thank you. Something else, since you're in California, it made me think of this. We have been helping a lot of people uh, with uh, California adoptions because, as you know, you can't just get your original birth certificate by asking for it. No, California is horrible where it comes yeah. to that. But you know what they they will do? They'll let us send them a King County court order. And then they'll release it to us. And then we turn around and release it to the client. Why will they give it to you? Because we're that wonderful. I don't know. I don't know why. I guess I think it's just because we have this court order and they and they, they think, oh, well, this must be on the up and up. So they're living in, so they're adoptees living in Washington state and they're requesting it and you're helping them. Well, they don't even have to live in Washington. They can be oh. living in California if their adoption, if they were born and or adopted. In California, we can get their original birth certificate or in the case, in one case, at least we had a birth mother who had a baby in California, I believe. And we were able to get the amended birth certificate. Well, search for be, prepared, be prepared after this is published. You may have people contacting you. That is just fine. I can okay. give you our phone number. <laughs> All right. We will provide that in the show notes. That's amazing mm-hmm. that they'll give it to yeah. you. They won't give it to the adoptee here in Now, Mm -hmm. here in California, I have heard of some people being able to get their birth certificate. And it it reminded me of what you said earlier. They have to get the right person on the right day in the right frame of mind. To And it depends on what, if they were getting it through their county. Yeah. It's different. We do it through your vital records. Yeah. It's all through vital records. It's not through the individual court's in the in the counties because i i can tell you the counties are all different i i i once had had a case i just had a question a simple question it was a yes or no and it was out of san francisco oh goodness still not forgiven you san francisco and they absolutely refused to even answer the question it was simply yes or no i needed to know did an adoption under this name occur in your county in this time frame? And they were like, we're not talking to you. Their, so, their administration in the city of San Francisco, and, and if you work in admin in the city of San Francisco, I and okay, but they're kind of a mess, or at least they have a reputation for being kind mm-hmm. of a mess. And I think... You know, I may not be being fair, so, but the fact that it's just a yes or no question and they refuse 
to answer it and you're asking on behalf of an organization you're not just some random person asking mm -hmm. i i found that a lot of times when it comes to adoption a lot of agencies and governments and stuff really don't want to give you an answer they'll be very yeah, and very i don't i don't know if they think they're protecting someone or if they just really hate adoption that much or what their problem is or they just hate reunions i don't know they're an unhappy person they're taking it out on the rest of us i don't know why but we just you know when that happens to us here like in that case when i made that call i just hung up the phone and thought next and just went to the next thing you know yeah. we just keep we just keep at it we keep drilling down until we get an answer from somewhere somehow and a lot of the things that we do here are getting the story because people will call us and say i just found out that my grandmother was adopted and and we had always you know there were these hush hush stories and i need to know what's what really happened and in those cases we're really glad if it's an agency adoption because agencies keep wonderful records with long stories you know page after page after page and so if there's no one left alive who can tell the story it could be in the agency records that's when we're really happy an agency is involved I really and they wish, just court order yeah i really wish that all of the adoption records were available to adoptees as part Me of too. the release of and their children yeah, because I really think that it's it's so important for helping us as adopted people or our descendants to understand kind of where we exist in space and time and how we came to be. And I would really like to advocate here that that would include our foster care records, that we would have access to those. Because even when we are given access to our adoption records, like we are in the UK, we are still barred from having our foster care records. Mm -hmm. And so many of us have what I call a life gap, where we have no idea who we were with, what was happening to us, what our health might have been like, any like injuries or traumas that we might have experienced. Right. I mm -hmm. there's there's just this black hole. Yeah. And it's really, you know, these are records that pertain to us as individuals and we should have a right to access those. And it's wonderful that there are organizations like yours that are able to put together some of those stories for people. And before we leave today, I is there anything that you would like to leave the listeners with? Um, let's see. You, I, I want to give you our website okay. so that there's a lot of stuff in there where you know it take me too long to tell you about. So if you just go to warm search.org w-a-r-m-s-e-a-r-c-h dot o-r-g that is our website okay 
And then you, from there, you can get our email, you can get our phone number, et cetera, et cetera. We have uh, like book lists of books that we recommend, resources. Um, you know, if if you are an adoptee, especially if you're an adoptee, um, there are so many support groups out there and they are so important. Even if you're not searching, just being able just to talk to other people who get it, it's so powerful. So there's Adoptees Connect, that's all over the country now. Um, and then there's, uh, depending on the nationality, there like in, in Seattle, there are uh, people who are South American adoptees. They have their own group, um, Chinese, Korean, huge Korean adoption community, things like that. Um, so if if you are an adoptee of any flavor, you know, go ahead and just email us, ask if we can help you with anything that you may want help with that you can't do on your own. Um, if it's something you can do on your own, we will certainly help you. We will lead you to where you get the answers. If it's simpler for the adoptee to do it themselves, we want the adoptee to do it, but they should still get a support group. Don't try to do it all by yourself. It's scary out there. You need your adoptee friends, right? You gotta partner up. So, um, and the other thing is if you're not adopted, nothing like that, and you're just listening to this because you think it's interesting, because I know that Andy is a fascinating person, so I don't blame you. And you're thinking, okay, I have nothing to do with this. I don't have a dog in the hunt. Well, I still want you, dear listener, I want you to get a DNA test. And here's why. Because you could be the key to helping someone else solve a mystery. Something that is vitally important to them. Even if it's not important to you, you're fine with how everything is. You could be it. You're the person who's going to make their day. And then here's something else people don't think about. You might find out that you're related to somebody really famous or cool. And it hasn't happened to me yet. It hasn't happened to me. Okay. But it's happened to other people. Okay. So it could happen. And then if you're, if you're not sure about your health history, get a 23andMe genetic test. It's a little more expensive. They have something similar in Ancestry now. Anyway, it's really important. Do it for yourself. Do it for your kids. And then um, if you want to help solve crimes, assuming you are not a criminal, um, then put your DNA into GEDmatch because that's the one that they use, the, you know, genetic detectives use. They, you know, they solve the Golden Gate killer crime, crimes with this. I can't think of what it's called now. It's not, it's still called GEDmatch, G-E-D match. But I can't think of the name of the company that actually runs it. Anyway, that's, it's a huge deal. You could be you could be giving someone closure, you know, a missing person 
who you know found deceased and they never identified them, but they got their DNA. You might be able to help, even if you're fourth or fifth cousin, you could be helping. So it's just a really big deal. And so here are my, I have three reasons why you should not take a DNA test. Here are three reasons. One, you hate surprises. If you don't like surprises, please do not have a DNA test. Okay, it's just too scary. The second reason would be you do not want any more relatives. You have enough family, forget it, no more. You know, the boat is full. The third reason, and this is why my brother would never do it, you think the government is going to clone you. Because you're so fantastic, we need lots of you. I, so, you know, I the workaround for me in that case with my, with my adopted brother was that I just had his son do the DNA test. Okay. So now we have a great big family, you know, reunion thanks to that. And he doesn't have to worry about being cloned. Yeah, he doesn't have to worry about being cloned. Okay, and none of us so, have to worry about him being cloned either. And we, yeah, you do not have to worry about my brother being cloned. <laughs> you are safe. You are safe from that. Okay, well, those are pretty solid reasons. Mm -hmm. And thank you for sharing those with me. And thank you for being here with us today. I hope that well, people will reach out. I hope so too. That would be awesome. Yeah, because it's it's just so nice to know who you are and where you came from. And it's also just really nice to know that there are people out there who want to help you. And that is it. Yeah. We are a nonprofit, mean, meaning, yes, we do take a fee. We have to have a fee. But trust me when I say we are not rich. So, <laughs> so what is your fee? The fee for a the um, like a tribal enrollment for that level of case, uh, where it's just documents, that's two hundred. A a non court search, that means you have your original birth certificate, maybe you've done DNA, that's three hundred. And a court search where we actually are, you know. We're requesting the records from the court. That's 400. And if you want the agency records, it that involves, first of all, the court search. Secondly, the agency's fee. That's separate. Yeah. And we do not pay for the DNA. You have to get your own DNA test, et cetera. But um, with all, all of our searches comes with DNA analysis, all of them. Okay. And, you know, some of you, if you follow my page on Facebook, you'll notice that I, when possible, I give out a free DNA test. And there are other organizations that do try to provide DNA tests for people because we do recognize that a lot of times the fees and things can be an obstacle for people. So I, and people can make payments to us also. They don't have to do it all at once. Okay. They can just pay in installments, however it works for them. All right. Well, it's good to have as much information as we can get. And 
I will list a lot of these things in the show notes. And thank you so much for being here today with me. Thank you. This was fun. Yeah. So this is another episode of The Adoption Files. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening.